Hello, and welcome to the Leaders Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this episode, we sit down with Rebecca Madsen, Chief Consumer Officer of United Healthcare, to discuss social determinants of health and how the pandemic brought existing disparities further into the light. We also discuss what United Healthcare is doing to address disparities in access to care, as well as the effectiveness of wellness programs and the future of telehealth. Give it a listen. So Rebecca, thank you for joining me today. Very excited to have this conversation with you around consumers and how they've been changed by the pandemic and how insurers are responding. So how has the pandemic highlighted already existing socioeconomic healthcare disparities and how has the healthcare industry shifted to better serve people faced with those disparities? Well, first of all, it's great to be here today to have this conversation with you. Um, we know that health disparities are driven by social, economic, gender, orientation, racial inequities. And what we saw during the pandemic is that many of these things were exacerbated. And when we look more generally at what we call social determinants of health, we know in the US, for example, two thirds of our healthcare spending focuses on medical issue and one third on social issues. If you look at other countries, they do the opposite. And I think what happened during the pandemic is it really highlighted the need to understand that 90% of a person's health is determined by what happens outside of the doctor's office and that all these other very variables come into play. And we saw that 41% of Americans avoided basic medical care during COVID-19. We know there was a time when you couldn't even get to the doctor because of essential care, but it disproportionately affected underserved groups. And so what we focused on is how do we really connect with members? How do we use claims data to proactively notify members of recommended services? Things such as basic screenings, in addition to all the COVID-related activity, we saw things such as cancer screenings go down and all the basic screenings that people need all the way to chronic care and acute care. Also, how do you do things such as leverage AI, artificial intelligence, to, to look at social determinants of health, to understand the population you're serving, to reduce the barriers to care? And then lastly, we know people call us. And every time somebody calls us, it's a chance for an interaction. And somebody's not necessarily going to tell you, I'm hungry or I'm not getting the care I need, or I'm in housing adverse situations. So we have in our call center, we listen for trigger words. So somebody says, I'm hungry, I'm stressed. Um, I don't have transportation to get to the doctor. I don't know how to use a computer to do virtual care. We listen for those trigger words and figure out how to plug them into necessary resources in the community. Those, all these things that you've mentioned that you're doing, the looking at claims data and look, listening for trigger words, were you, was United Healthcare doing those things before and maybe it's just ramped up or has, have things drastically changed? Social determinants of health have always been really crucial to everything we do, serving everything from our Medicaid to our commercial to our Medicare population. It's um, key to how people actually maintain their health and access services. But what we saw during the pandemic is it just highlighted everything. The, the incidence of COVID in um, you know, racially diverse and, and lower income populations, we saw that 
more exacerbated. You heard it all over the news. We also saw people's ability to get access to care was incredibly compromised across the entire population. And so what I think the pandemic did is it took fundamental characteristics of what were happening in healthcare and really highlighted them. And we were doing this work before, but we had it with even greater urgency, greater purpose, greater focus, because we knew how important it was for people to maintain their health, get the support they needed, and especially around areas such as mental health. Um, that that was always a challenge, but it became even more so. And we knew that, you know, over half the population said they were depressed, that they were stressed, that they were anxious. And it's incumbent upon us, and we feel it's part of our mission to be able to serve those populations proactively and be a support mechanism for them. Still in the data area, as, as we've talked about that a little bit, what is one data-driven challenge you're tackling right now back with respect to social determinants of health? So one key challenge that we have is that fewer than 5% of claims that we receive include an ICD-10-Z code, which makes it difficult for us to rely on claims alone to be able to see opportunities for social determinants of health. So we've pursued multiple approaches in this is what I talked about in the service centers, the empathy training, the keywords, the trigger words, um, how we make sure that we have industry standard questionnaires to help uncover needs during conversations with members. This is not just in our call center. This is our nurses, our clinical conversations that we have. Added self-reported survey date, self-reported survey data to better identify members with needs. So tell us. Tell us that you have needs and we'll figure out to help you, how to help you. And then also adding data from de-identified medical records and to looking at employer partnerships. So we can say to the employer, tell us what it is that you see in your population so that we can intervene. So relying on data is amazing in multiple cases. It gets you maybe 70% of the way there, but that other 30%, you need to be more creative and use all the touch points you have to be able to gather the necessary information. So let's go to virtual care. While COVID-19 jump-started virtual care a little bit, insurers are now rolling back some of their willingness to pay for telehealth access to technology. Um, there's battlements over reimbursement levels, discussions around you know, health equity and broadband access um, playing out in Congress. How can all of this play out in a way that benefits the healthcare consumer? And then, what is the industry's appetite for bringing new digital solutions to the market that focus on equity and access to care? Yes, yeah, so we saw about a year ago, a year and a half ago, prior to the pandemic, 39% of people said they were interested in virtual care. Now that number is up to 91%. And our utilization of virtual care, obviously, when people couldn't get to the doctor, increased by more than 2,500%. So we believe virtual care is something that is here to stay. It provides not only um, a way for everyone to access a provider, but for rural populations and underserved populations. Part of what I was talking about before with social determinants of health is how do we connect people through local um, telecommunication companies to get subsidies, to be able to get the internet and get access. 
Um, you talked a little bit about payment. Let me be clear that we believe strongly at United Healthcare in virtual care. In fact, we're designing a product called Virtual First that focuses on virtual care. Um, and it's commensurate with your deductible, the plan that you have, the coinsurance, but <clears throat> our policy encourages the use of it. Um, we believe, based on the data that we've seen, that not only does it provide access, but it provides the same quality of care at a much lower price and a much lower um, price point where people used to go to, for example, the emergency room, and now they can access virtual care, speak with the doctor, get a prescription, send in a picture of what's going on with them. And so for rural populations, for low-income populations, for more um, diverse populations that had access issues, it opens the door for them. And it also provides opportunities for everyone across the spectrum to get care 24-7 when they need it and how they need it. Do you think as a part of this, just listening to those numbers you gave, in addition just to creating more access and equity, is it possible that virtual care could down the line help lower that overall health care cost? Yeah, but there's numerous studies that are being done on that to, to look at the cost trade-offs and, and how we um, really understand the full scope of does somebody use virtual care and then also go to the doctor in a non-pandemic environment. And so there's a lot of research being done on it. On the absolute cost of it for the consumer in particular, it is the on the continuum of, of options, it is a very cost-effective way of accessing care. Uh, and so for an individual, we believe that there will be cost benefits to be able to continuing to use uh, virtual care in the future. Okay, let's look at um, employers a little bit and employee well-being. What kind of programs and partnerships are you seeing employers invest in to address overall well-being as, as well as potential gaps in care? Well, wellness programs have been on the rise for the past decade. We see it even more so now. Three quarters of large employers offer wellness programs. You can earn incentives up to $100 for doing basic things such as walking, engaging in coaching programs, doing weight loss programs. We believe that not only is it good for your health, but for the employer, it reduces absenteeism, it maintains the health of their population, it has the potential to lower their healthcare costs, and 68% um, of people during the pandemic, for example, said walking was their preferred method of exercise. We have a program called United Healthcare Motion where you can earn up to $1,000 a year in incentives just by walking. So you can do the basic activities and also put money in your own pocket. And so it's a win-win-win. It's a win for your health, it's a win for the consumer, and it's a win for your employer. Um, we also see employers leveraging digital health and well-being platforms, so opportunities to engage in incentive-based programs that enable consumers to 24-7 self-service, but to do things such as coaching, um, to have to see information, to do challenges, to get coins for doing all sorts of things on the wellness continuum. And we've seen employers very much supportive of that, um, either through their own uh, sort of ecosystem or by leveraging the programs we have. The last thing that we've seen that is not the last thing, but another thing that we've seen that has been really transformative is the idea of digital therapeutics. And one program we have that focuses on type 2 diabetes, which type 2 diabetes is a major cost 
um, driver in a negative sense, over 327 billion in medical expenses, 90 billion in productivity losses. So employers are very focused on this. And it is basically what it does is it has a device that you insert and then you get real time data as the consumer. That data is fed back to us as the provider. You then have are connected with a coach to be able to have informative conversations. Um, and what we saw is 90% of patients with an HbA1c over eight saw improvement within 90 days, and 30% of patients reported medication de-escalation. So being able to engage in the digital therapeutics is a more clinical intervention, but something as well that we've seen our employers are really taking advantage of. That's great. Those are great numbers on that. Um, yeah, it's an, an amazing program and it works so well. That is, that's fantastic to hear. One uh, one additional question on this wellness, because we've done some research and, and work in this space, and sometimes you hear feedback that wellness programs are great for people who might already be inclined to be healthy, um, but they don't necessarily reach those folks that you really want to reach who really need it. Do you have any thoughts around that? So it, it's obviously if, if you're providing an incentive for somebody to go to the gym and you have somebody already going to the gym, that is your first population that will engage in the program. Absolutely. But the key is to really figure out how you get the broad population. We've seen financial incentives really, they work. People respond to money and incentives. You also have to make sure that you have a full 360 loop. You don't just have put the program out there and hope if you build it, they will come. So another thing we have, we have a very comprehensive um, dashboard in our call centers that will tell a consumer, here's a wellness program. Here's an incentive with real money you left on the table. Lack of awareness is also an issue. There's so much out there in the world. It's noise, I say it's like Charlie Brown with the wah, 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 where how do you cut through the noise? So we have a um, real focus on our end about really telling people, did you get your screening? We see you haven't followed up with your medication compliance, which is not wellness, that's health, but how do you do also say, here's the money you've left on the table. Here are the programs that are available to you. And we really use those triggers both digitally and telephonically to be able to target people so that they can engage, not just the ones that are already healthy. Where are we failing consumers the most in healthcare right now? And on the other side of that, where are we best serving them? So let's start with the best. There's so many answers to both those questions. I'm just going to pick a couple. I believe in, in terms of the best category, consumer engagement and remote medical monitoring and treatment. Um, just changing behavior is so hard, getting people to pay attention and engage. We see you know, surveys where you ask people, are you uh, appropriate weight? And we know a third of the population is obese, a third is overweight, and we get 70% of people saying they're normal weight. So you have all these people walking around thinking that they're healthy when they're actually not. So how do you get people engaged? I talked about the level two program, but also how do you get people engaged to change their diet and exercise and leveraging technology to be able to do that, to do this analysis, to do things such as the level two monitor. That I think is an area we as an industry have really excelled in, in a different level, you know, even just having a, a scale to be able to communicate back with, um, with the clinical professional. Um, and also just technology to improve the experience, things such as digital onboarding, 
personalized claims video, providing 24-7 access, giving people the ability to pay online, that they can self-serve and use digital technology to be able to get information they need that's not just a bulletin board, but real activity-based, real action orientation. And I think we've really excelled in that, in particular over the past two to three years, and we saw that come to life even more during the pandemic. Um, worst areas are, I would say two things, and I don't want to use the word worst. I would say instead opportunities for us as an industry to better serve our consumers. One is the connectivity of healthcare. There's so many different parts of healthcare, and it's really, I would say bifurcated, but it's multifurcated that there's so many different areas. And how do we connect both, both to make sure that we serve the member, but also in terms of making sure that we don't have drug to drug interactions? How do we really make sure that we're giving our customers access to portable medical information that they own so that the system is connected, the providers are connected, we can reduce fraud, eliminate duplication of services, get people to the right care that they need. And I think that there's an opportunity to do a much better job of that as an industry. We've done a ton of work in this area, but I think that there's more to do. And I would say the second one, which is um, to me just of the utmost importance, we often talk about health as basic clinical health, acute care, chronic disease, but how do we focus on mental health? And I think as um, just an industry and a population, you know, 53% of people like I talked about report their mental health is worse. You see it every day in the news of people struggling, people who were out of work, but even take not the extreme cases. On a daily basis, I think we have a crisis in this country of mental health. And we, you know, we have a large telemental health network. We have digital engagement through things such as apps and San Velo. But we, I think, have an opportunity to continue to serve and to focus on mental health as a real crisis in this country in a way we did, for example, with the opioid crisis a couple of years ago. Rebecca, I, I absolutely think those are great answers in terms of both, you know, the the great things that we're doing in this industry as well as the areas for opportunity. Um, and I'm really looking forward to see what United Healthcare does in these areas to, to keep working with consumers. Uh, this has been great chatting with you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, any last thoughts for our for our listeners before we sign off? Well, I enjoyed chatting with you as well. And I would say if there's any last thoughts for the listeners, it is um, make sure to do your wellness exams. Make sure that you engage in your health. Do not take this opportunity of what's happened over the past year and a half and all the tragedy and all the difficulty in it to not take care of yourself. There's never a more important time, your physical health, your mental health, your wellness, and be well. I think that's advice we could all use. Thank you so much. Of course, my pleasure. That was Rebecca Madsen, Chief Consumer Officer at United Healthcare. Don't forget to tune in next time at leadersedge.com, or you can now find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.